Welcome to the Eternal Family Podcast class. This is class number 13, entitled Make and Keep. We now begin to ask the question, how do you make a family eternal? This whole class has been leading up to the question, how can I make my family eternal? You will see that there are two answers to that question. Make the right covenant and then keep it. But as you ponder how we have emphasized those in the past, maybe you will conclude like I have that we've been emphasizing the wrong one. Which one do you think is most important and which one do you think is the easiest to fix? The making of the covenant or the keeping of the covenant? So let me just remind you where we've been. We have talked about three eternal families and I'm going to write them today. I'm going to call this one heavenly family. That I am a child of heavenly parents. I am a child of heavenly father, heavenly mother. I belong to a heavenly family. Now here I am on earth with my earthly family. And then we also talked about that there's a covenant family. And we've spent this whole class talking about how this needs to be a product of this one, that my earthly family will be eternal if I pull in all the elements of my heavenly family. I need to be, the best thing you can do for your eternal family, the best thing you can do to be a better parent is to be a child of heavenly parents. Truly embrace the relationship you have with Heavenly Father will make you a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother, a better member of society than anything else you could do. You want to improve earthly family? Be a member of the Heavenly Family. And the same thing over here. If, you want to, if we want to make our, heavenly, our earthly families better, we need to pull in what we know about the Covenant Family. I need to keep covenants. I need to follow the teachings of Jesus. So we spend a lot of time talking about the covenant family and its influence on my earthly family. Now, the whole point of that was to make this earthly family an eternal family. That's the whole point. In fact, just to remind you, turn to section two of the Doctrine and Covenants. When the Lord promised, the very first chronological section of the Doctrine and Covenants, when the Lord promised that Elijah would come, do you remember what he said? Section two, keep going, very end. He says, if we don't do this, if we don't send Elijah, then the whole earth was what? It's a fancy way of saying what? If we don't send Elijah, then the whole earth was a waste. If this does not, and I will tell you my personal opinion, and I know, I know, I don't mind it. I don't want to contradict the doctrine that they'll be happy in the terrestrial kingdom and they'll be happy in the celestial kingdom. I believe you'll go to a kingdom that makes you happy. And I believe people that go to the terrestrial kingdom want to be there because that's where they'll be happy. I don't want to diminish, diminish that. But if my family doesn't end up eternal, I will honestly consider my whole life to have been 
a waste. So the way we're going to end this class is what we've been trying to do all along. How do I make that an eternal family? And everything that we've been taught, I need to live, I need to obey, I need to keep. But today we're going to talk specifically, how do I make it eternal? Now, the line from the proclamation that we're studying today, I want to always come back to our text. The line from the proclamation is... The divine plan of happiness enables relationships to be perpetuated beyond the grave. Sacred ordinances and covenants available in holy temples make it possible for individuals to return to the presence of God and for their families to be united eternally. That's today's sentence. How do you make your family eternal? Now, what I'm about to do, I hope you will judge me kindly. I believe you have grown up with a misconception. I am so grateful for your young men's and young women's leaders, and I'm grateful for all that they did. But in my observation, they have taught you an incorrect truth. And it is my soapbox to fix it. And I don't know, I don't want to trash them. I don't want to demean them in any way. But I would invite you to have an open mind to say, maybe I teach my children differently than I was taught. From the beginning of your life, tell me what the church and your leaders and maybe your parents have emphasized as to how you make a family eternal. What have they emphasized? The ordinance of being Go and get the right ordinance done. Let me see if I can change that today. How hard is it to fix that? How hard is it to fix that the ordinance wasn't done yet? What's the one that is so not easy to fix? Do you see why I'm trying to see? I'm just trying to, we have for all of your lives and all of my life, it was emphasized. You got to get married in the temple. You got to get married in the temple. And I in no way am I not going to, to, to teach that. But it's not the where you got married that matters the most. That can be fixed how fast? One day. Isn't that what we're doing for everyone who's dead who didn't do that? We're fixing all of that in one brief moment in the temple. So what is it that is difficult to fix? If it's easy to fix that it didn't happen in the right place, what is difficult to fix? Well, the ordinance is to make covenants. The hard part is keeping You got it! There's my sermon right there. You just preached it. Amen. Let's go home. Allow me to suggest... 
it's not the making of the covenant that we need to emphasize as much as what? The keeping of the covenant. If I were teaching high school students and teenagers, I would emphasize that you need to start keeping that covenant today so that when you make the covenant, it'll have real meaning. And again, that isn't... I can't fix that by just going to the temple and doing the ordinance, right? So what is it that really matters? And what is it that we could fix if it's broken? Again, I don't want to diminish. Don't take, me, don't take this the wrong way. I am not saying in any way that we should not emphasize marriage in the temple. But we need to clearly teach that that we could fix. What we can't fix is a lifetime of not living the covenant or not wanting to live the covenant. That is what really makes it eternal. I think going on those lines too is even before you do that ordinance as well because you probably should not have the mindset that, okay, once I get sealed, I'll be fine. Yeah. I'll be good. Like, I'll be doing all these things, but if you're not already, how are you going to expect that you're going to all start doing it? So let's expand. The, make, the keeping of the covenant didn't, hap, didn't start in a ceiling room, right? The covenant began when? Baptism, sacrament. It's all one covenant. And so we need to emphasize. So here's, I'm going to write it. Allow me to put it in front of us. And again, I'm not trying to diminish. I'm not trying to make anyone look bad. But let's say what we have emphasized. What have we emphasized? Make the covenant. Make the covenant. What Oh my goodness, can't spell. What should we emphasize. All right, let's turn to the scriptures. Let's hear the language of the Lord. And I want to show you just one little thing that fascinates me. This just fascinates me. Everyone turn to section 132. 132 is marriage, plural marriage, the law of eternal marriage. Let's talk about the law of eternal marriage. Section 132, there's just little teeny, teeny verse in verse seven, right? Just really small one. I can tell who's there because you're laughing when I say that. Okay, section 132. Whoops. All right, ready? Verse 7. Verily I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these. Now, a huge introduction. 
All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or even expectations. You shouldn't even be expecting to be married in the afterlife if you don't meet these two requirements. You can't even expect it. All oaths, all covenants, all expectations that don't meet two requirements. If they don't meet the two requirements, let's turn to the top of the page. If they don't meet the two requirements, let's finish this, are of no e efficacy, virtue, or force in and after the resurrection from the dead. For all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. So, grandma and grandpa, if they didn't meet the two requirements, you shouldn't even expect them to be married in the afterlife. No, no, no oath, no covenant, no bond. Now that's kind of good news. How much money do I owe my mortgage company in the afterlife? Zero. You go after my kids that are back there. But me, I'm debt free. Because the contract I signed with my mortgage company ends when I die because it didn't meet the two requirements. And that's, that's kind of good news for me. But my marriage, if my marriage ends when I die, then I will consider my whole life a waste. So what are the two conditions? Notice the order the Lord puts them in and the order we put them in. The Lord's first one is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. When would the Holy Ghost seal it? At the beginning? Do you think, Heavenly Father, do you think the Holy Ghost sealed my marriage the day I got married? When do you think he stands as a testimony to say, Lord, their marriage is good, I seal it? That's when it's sealed, right? So this is not the making of the covenant. This is the keeping of the covenant. I have to show the Holy Ghost that I lived the covenant, that I wanted to live the covenant, that it meant something to me. It's only after living it will the Holy Ghost say, I seal it, Lord. And then like a jar of peaches, he seals it so it's fresh and lasts forever. But Heavenly Father puts which one first? The keeping of it. And then he says, of him who is anointed. Now, let me clarify that. Um, we are right now in West Jordan. Can a South Jordan police officer pull me over and ticket me in West Jordan? Can he pull me over? Turn his lights on. Pull me over. Can he give me a ticket? Can a South Jordan police officer give me a ticket? in West Jordan, he cannot because he lacks 
Authority. Where does his authority end? When does, where does a South Jordan police officer's authority end? At the borders of South Jordan. Now, is there someone who can pull me over in South Jordan and West Jordan? Yes. Who's that? A county patrolman. A Salt Lake County patrolman who has, what, what's the word here? Higher authority, broader jurisdiction. He can pull me over in West Jordan and he can pull me over in South Jordan. Now, can that county officer pull me over in St. George? He cannot. His jurisdiction doesn't extend that far. He's gone beyond the boundaries. Now, is there someone who can pull me over in West Jordan, South Jordan, and St. George? A state trooper whose authority is the entire state of Utah. So if I want something to last beyond the border of death, it has to come from where? Someone beyond death. It has to come from someone who has authority beyond those boundaries, a higher authority. And that is what Elijah brought. We talk about the coming of Elijah. He came and he brought authority to bind beyond death. And the only place you can be married by that authority is in, let's go back to the proclamation. The only place, here's our declaration to the world. The only place you can be sealed with that authority so that it lasts beyond death is where? Whoops. Sacred ordinances and covenants available in holy temples make it possible for individuals to return to the presence of God and for families to be united eternally. So there are two things I have to do. I have to make the right covenant. I have to make a covenant by someone whose authority doesn't end when I die. Someone who has authority beyond death. I have to make that covenant. And then number two. I shouldn't say number two, but the other requirement is keep that promise so that the Holy Spirit of promise can testify. The Holy Ghost can testify that we did it. Let me share with you what Joseph Fielding Smith said about the Holy Spirit of promise. President Smith, who was the 10th, 10th president of the church, said the following. Come on. There we go. Jump. Jump. Come on, jump. There we go. When a man and a woman, in all sincerity, enter into a covenant of marriage for time and, and all eternity, the Holy Ghost, who is the spirit of promise, bears, records, bears record of or ratifies that sealing. In other words, he seals the promises pertaining to marriage, the marriage covenant upon them. Now, if one or both of these covenanting persons break that covenant by which they were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, then the Spirit withdraws the seal 
and the guilty party or parties stand as if there had been no sealing or promise given. All covenants are sealed based upon faithfulness. So let's go through three scenarios, okay? Back in Doctrine and Covenants 132, the Lord's going to give us three scenarios. Scenario number one is verse 15. All right, you tell me. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to keep this. Well, I think you've seen this. It just We'll get back to this one. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say make, keep. All right, scenario number one. Scenario number one. Ready? Wherefore, if a man marry a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me nor by my word. Every chapel in Las Vegas, every justice of the peace, every place outside of a temple that you get married. If a man marry him a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me nor by my word. So tell me, yes or no? Make the covenant? No. Keep the covenant that they haven't made? No. Eternal? So make, keep, eternal. Answer? Do they have an expectation that it's eternal? No. Now, take this. Again, we can fix this, right? Can we fix all these? Is that what we're doing for the dead? So don't lose hope. Don't lose hope, but this is where it gets a little discouraging. If they don't, if it's a no-no, if it's a no-no marriage, pun intended, if it's a no-no marriage, their covenant and marriage are not a force when they are dead and when they are out of this world. Therefore, they are not bound by any law when they are out of this world. And then probably the most, the scariest, most depressing words in Scripture. If I have a no-no marriage, I will remain separate and single. Is there marriage in the terrestrial kingdom? Is there marriage in the telestial kingdom? Is there marriage in degree number two of the celestial kingdom? Is there marriage in degree number three of the celestial kingdom? If I have a no-no marriage, I remain separate and single without exaltation in my saved condition to all eternity. Okay, scenario number two. Now, I think this was written very generically, so it can be applied in a broad. I'm going to just apply it one way. In another situation, we might apply it differently. Scenario number two, ready? If a man marry a wife and make a covenant with her for time and for eternity. So he did what? They did what? Scenario number two is a yes. They went to the temple. They went to the temple and they were sealed in the temple. 
If that covenant is not by my word, which is by law, and not sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, meaning what didn't they do? They didn't keep it. They made it and didn't keep it. Now, kudos to making it, right? But they didn't keep it. They didn't keep it. They didn't walk side by side. They weren't a nail in the sure place for each other. They didn't keep the covenant. They didn't obey. Therefore, what happens? Then it is not valid, neither of force when they are out of the world because they were not joined by me neither by my word. So even though this is a yes, what is this? This is a no. Now, I, and not, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but look around the church. How many scenario twos do you see? Made, but aren't keeping. Made, but aren't treating each other according to the covenant. They need to understand what? They do not have an eternal marriage. Let me give you a sad scenario. I have a dear friend. She's been married to her husband for almost 30 years. And during those 30 years, he has been very abusive. Very abusive. She would drive home and see that he was home and her reaction was, dang. She found out recently that he was very abusive to their children. Growing up, very abusive to his children. And she didn't know some of the circumstances. After 30 years, she finally said, I'm done. And she filed for divorce. He came out as the martyr. You're breaking the covenant. You're the one that's asking for a divorce. You're breaking the covenant. What's wrong here? He broke it long ago by how he wasn't treating her. He broke the covenant for years. And now that she's not, she, now that she's undoing number one, he's going to blame her that their marriage isn't eternal. Do you see what's broken here and so often broken in our society? She's asking for a break of the ceiling because he's been breaking it from the beginning. I beg of you not to have a scenario number two marriage where you went into the temple and you got sealed and then you don't keep it. Everything when we've been teaching in this class is part of the covenant. That whole class on walking side by side. That whole class on Isaiah 22. Be a nail in a sure place for Jesus and for your spouse. 
that whole class on every covenant we take. And the, if you don't keep the covenant, you have no expectation of an eternal marriage. And which one of those two does Heavenly Father emphasize the most? Making or keeping? Keeping. How hard... Let me, let me throw in a possible scenario 1A. Let me so throw in scenario 1A is no, yes. This is the couple who loved each other and treated each other kindly and tenderly and were friends and everything that we've talked about, they just didn't get married in the temple. That could be this side of the veil. It's pretty much everyone on the other side of the veil. Well, I don't know, I don't know that this is a yes, but this is definitely not a, a, not a yes. But how hard is this to fix? Which one of those two, the no yes or the yes no, is harder to fix? How hard is this one to fix, the, the 1A? Their grandchildren or they? Just go to the temple. You can, you can fix that one. But how hard is it to fix this one? When, yes, you went to the temple, but you haven't been keeping that covenant. Do you see why I get a little passionate about this? For all of my life, it was pounded into my head. Mary in the temple, Mary in the temple, Mary in the temple. And we're, we're almost sending this message. As long as you marry in the temple, this is a yes, and that's wrong. What I wish every one of my mutual leaders had emphasized is start now to keep the covenant. Keep the covenant while you're dating and keep the covenant when you get married and then go to the right place and get married. So let's do scenario number three. Verse 19, again, a little teeny verse, just an itty bitty one. Ready? Verse 19, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law and by the new and everlasting covenant and it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise by him who is anointed. And then a whole lot of blah, blah, blah. I don't mean to minimize it. It's a whole lot of what happens. If ye abide in my covenant and commit no murder, whereby to shed innocent blood. I want to talk about that in just a second. If you abide in my covenant and don't murder, it shall be done unto them all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them in time and in eternity and shall be a force when they are out of the world. And they shall pass by the angels and gods which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things and hath been sealed upon their heads, which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever. And they shall be gods because they have no end. In other words, what did they do to number one? Did they make? Yes. Did they keep? Yes. Now, I want to talk about this line here. This is a fascinating line. 
Were they perfect? No. No. Is there room in this to not be perfect? Yes. What he's saying is there are certain things that permanently break it no matter how much you repent. But barring that, everything else is fixable. Everything else is fixable. It may take a whole lot of repenting and it may take the grace of God, but everything else is fixable. There is not an expectation of perfection here. My wife shouldn't expect me to be perfect and I shouldn't expect her to be because I'm not and she's not. She's a lot closer than I am. But there is no expectation of perfection and there's allowance for that. Which is why going back to the proclamation, when we talked about those nine principles, what was, what was principle number two and three? Sorry, three and four. What was principle three and four? Does the covenant assume we're going to make some mistakes and we're going to need to repent? Does every sin I commit violate the covenant? But if I don't repent and I continue to sin, what would you do if you were the Holy Spirit of promise? This becomes what? A no. But if this is a yes, if they made and kept, is that an eternal family? That family, that marriage is intact, sealed, preserved, protected. That's how you do it. Make and keep. And which one's more important? I can fix the making. I can't fix very easily the keeping. So let me end with my favorite quotation. Years ago, I mean, you can imagine when a general, when 70s are given emeritus status and they're being, you know, they're retired, you know, as soon as you turn 70 and you're a 70, you're, you're out. Sorry. Corma the 12, that's for life, but 70 until 70. And then you're out. Now, if you were an emeritus general authority and you, this was your last general conference and you had one last um, chance to stand up and speak, what would your last talk include? What do you think you would talk about in your last talk? Wouldn't that be kind of your most important sermon? F. Burton Howard, one of my favorite general authorities, at his very last general conference, I think it was his way of saying, let me teach you the most important lesson I can teach you. And this has changed my life. He said, most of all, I think eternal marriage cannot be achieved without a commitment to make it work. Not making, keeping. Most of what I know about this, I have learned from my companion. We have been married for almost 47 years now. From the beginning, she knew what kind of marriage she wanted. We started as poor college students, but her vision for our marriage was exemplified by a set of silverware. As is common today, when we married, we registered with a local department store. 
Instead of listing all the pots and pans and appliances we needed and hoped to receive, she chose another course. She asked for silverware. She chose a pattern and the number of place settings and listed knives, forks, and spoons on the wedding registry and nothing else. No towels, no toasters, no television, just knives, forks, and spoons. The wedding came and went. Our friends and our parents' friends gave gifts. We departed for a brief honeymoon and decided to open the presents when we returned. When we did so, we were shocked. There was not a single knife or fork in the lot. We joked about it and went on with our lives. Two children came along when we were in law school. We had no money to spare, but when my wife worked as a part-time election judge or when someone gave her a few dollars for her birthday, she would quietly set it aside, and when she had enough, she would go to town to buy a fork or a spoon. It took us several years to accumulate enough pieces to use them. When we finally had service for four, we began to invite some of our friends for dinner. Before they came, we had a little discussion in the kitchen. Which utensils would we use, the battered and mismatched stainless or the special silverware? In those early days, I would often vote for the stainless. It was easier. You could just throw it in the dishwasher after the meal, and it took care of itself. The silver, on the other hand, was a lot of work. My wife had it hidden away under the bed where it could not be easily found by a burglar. She had insisted that I buy a tarnish-free cloth to wrap it in. Each piece was in a separate pocket and it was no easy task to assemble all the pieces. When the silver was used, we had to hand wash it. It was hand washed and dried so that it would not spot, put back in the pocket so it would not turn it, tarnish, and wrapped up carefully and hidden again so it would not get stolen. If any tarnish was discovered, I was sent to buy silver polish, and together we carefully rubbed the stains away. Over the years, we added to the set, and I watched with amazement how she cared for the silver. My wife was never one to get angry easily. However, I remember one day when one of our children somehow got hold of one of the silver forks and wanted to use it to dig up the backyard. That attempt was met with a fiery glare and a warning not to even think about it, ever. I noticed that the silverware never, never went to the many war dinners she cooked or never accompanied the many meals she made and sent to others who were sick or needy. It never went on picnics and it never went camping. In fact, it never went anywhere. And as time went by, it didn't even come to the table very often. Some of our friends were weighed in the balance and found wanting and they didn't even know it. They got the stainless when they came to dinner. The time came when we were called to go on a mission and I arrived home one day and was told that I had to rent a safe deposit box for the silver. She didn't want to take it with us. She didn't want to leave it behind and she didn't want to lose it. For years, I thought she was just a little bit eccentric. Then one day I realized that she had known for a long time something that I was just beginning to understand. If you want something to last forever, you treat it differently. You shield it and protect it. You never abuse it. You don't expose it to the elements. You don't make it common or ordinary. If it ever becomes tarnished, you lovingly polish it until it gleams like new.
It becomes special. Why? Because you made it so. Let me throw one last thought in. Heavenly Father doesn't make my marriage eternal. I make it eternal by how I treat it. How I protect it. I make it last. Why in the world would my wife want to be with me for the eternities if I have not loved her with all my heart for all of my life? I treat it different. I treat that relationship different than any other relationship I have. And the way I treat it makes it different and makes it last. It becomes special because you made it so. And it grows more beautiful and precious as time goes by. Eternal marriage is just like that. We need to treat it just that way. I hope you'll all make the covenant. But I hope long before you walk into that temple to make it, you've started to keep it. I hope you started when you were eight and you lived up to the covenant you made then. I hope every sacrament, when you renew those covenants, you keep the covenant. I hope when you walked into the temple for your endowment and made those covenants, you keep those covenants and you keep them forever. Your marriage will be eternal, not because you made it, in the right place. That's important. That's number one. I don't want to diminish making it. But your marriage will be eternal because you keep it. You keep the covenant. And when you make a mistake, you repent quickly. And you treat it differently. I bear you my testimony. Your marriage can last for eternity. Of all the things in my life, that I really want to last, that's the one. I know someday my iPad is going to die. That's okay. But if my marriage dies, I will consider my whole life a waste. Make, keep. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Eternal Family podcast class. This has been class number 13, entitled Make and Keep. As you ponder making and keeping the Eternal Covenant, would you discuss with someone in your life, or maybe your partner, your marriage partner, your husband, your wife, or maybe someone to whom you're engaged, someone you're dating, would you ponder what that looks like to you? What does it mean on a daily basis to keep the covenant?